0: Sister Miriam Hydland, nationally known inspirational speaker, recently spoke at St. Peter Cathedral in Marquette as part of the Charismatic Retreat. She spoke on five separate occasions on May 23rd and 24th on the topic of the healing power of the Holy Spirit. Tonight you'll hear part two of the series. Sister Miriam Heidlin.
1: Good morning, friends. How are you? I'm, I'm glad to be closer to you. I felt really far away from you last night, <laughs> and we did that because of the live stream. But I I'd much rather be here so I can see your beautiful faces. And so I was um, up very early this morning praying because that's what nuns do. Okay, and uh, I, I have to say, watching the sunrise over Lake Superior is not a bad way to spend your morning. Can I just say that right now? So uh, I was just praying for you, and so. Just whatever is on your heart this morning, dear friends, whatever is on your heart, just to let you know that wherever you find yourself, that is exactly the place where Jesus loves you, wherever that is. You know, sometimes we come to these things, and, and like I mentioned to you last night, that uh, you know we come with a variety of dispositions of our hearts, and maybe you have other things you have to do today, or maybe you didn't want to come, or you were voluntold to come. However you came, that's okay, you know. Trusting that the Lord uh, will meet you exactly where you are that he delights to unfold your heart. So once again, I'm just going to, and you can stay seated this time, but I'm just going to have you close your eyes, if that's okay, just for a second, and just take a deep breath all the way in, through your nose, all the way out. Let's just take another deep breath all the way in, and all the way out. And once again, I just want to give you a few moments with the Lord, just the two of you, just to offer to Jesus, whatever's on your heart this morning, whatever that is, Take another deep breath all the way in. And uh, Lord Jesus, we surrender our hearts to you. We thank you for the beauty of this day. We thank you for how you love us. We thank you that your love never ends. And that even now you're working in places we don't even understand. We thank you for that. That we don't have to fix ourselves. We don't have to figure it out. That your love is already waiting for us. And Jesus, I pray that your precious blood would cover us, that you would defend us against any attacks of the enemy, any distractions, any fear, any anxiety. We just ask your precious blood, Jesus, to cover each one of us. And Holy Spirit, that you would continue to just gently illumine our hearts, gently melt the places that are hard or frozen or afraid. Just open our hearts in your beauty. Father, I ask that you would father us today. Father us in a new way as your sons and daughters. And Mother Mary, once again, we turn to you as your children. You whose love is so kind, Mama. We turn to you once again and we pray together as a family. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of tenderness, pray for us in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I have to tell you, I do see, when I, when I often when I go to different parishes across the nation, I don't see any other religious sisters, so I'm so glad to see. And gray too, y'all. That's, that's very rare, actually. So... But uh, it's funny when I go for walks. Sometimes, you know, when I go visit places, I'll go for a walk or just spend some time in the city, and I can tell where I am and the part of the country as to the reaction that I usually get from people. Because um, you know, well, a lot of times these days people aren't used to seeing nuns and habits, and so they don't really quite know what you are. And so you can see the look on your face; it's priceless. I can tell you all the different. I've, I've studied it very well. So yesterday I was walking in your town, and I just stopped a few conversations, and people were like, "Girl, what what's going on here?" You know. So. Um, but I mentioned to you that I last night, I worked at a daycare for many years at our mission Seattle. And I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. So as you, if you know, it's kind of like the East Coast and the West Coast are some pretty unchurched areas. And so especially the, the Seattle area, not exactly a bastion for Orthodox Christianity, okay? so. Um, Actually, the state religion of Washington is recycling, okay, so don't mix the glass and the plastic, because you'll go right to hell. That's what happens there. So, but I was at the grocery store, it's one of my favorite stories, I was at the grocery store many years ago, and I was in the produce section just putting lettuce in my bag. And um, all of a sudden, I saw somebody, you know, approaching me from, like, the direction over here. And so I know now well enough to know that when people are approaching me very quickly, something is about to happen. So I'm putting the lettuce in my bag, I'm going, okay, I have no idea what's about to happen right now, but somebody is pursuing me insistently. So as I look over, there's a man probably about 60 years old and he walks right up to me and he's like, are you a nun? And I said, yes, (laughs) yes, yes I am. he's like, wow, they still make nuns. And I said, yes, sir, they still make nuns. And in that moment, in that moment, he launched into this story of when he was third grade and his teacher was Sister Patty. And he told me how much he loved her and how beautiful she was. And if you've ever been in the presence of somebody who's telling you a story, and they're no longer 60 years old, but he was third grade. And his whole countenance transformed. And he was talking about how much he loved her. And he said, Sister, you know, I got the ruler a lot, but I deserved it every single time. I talked every day in her class, and I loved her so much. And, and then all of a sudden, he just kind of, like, looked at the ceiling of the store, and he came to. and. He just looked at me and he said, I love them so much, the sisters. And he said, Thank you, sister, thank you so much. And I was just standing there with the lettuce still in my hand <laughs> as he told that story. And, and he just walked away. And I never saw him again after that. And I don't even know if he's still a believer. I don't know if he believes in God. I don't know if, I have no idea the disposition of his heart, but I do know that when he was in third grade, a beautiful woman came and transformed his life. And he was never the same. And that's what love does. That's, that's what love does for us. And so this morning, what we're gonna talk about, I'm gonna build on the talk from last night about how, why our hearts matter. So we have to start here, and I'm going to continue to appeal to your heart today because many times this is the place that's, it is the place that's most important, but it's also the place we often run away from. Okay, so I'm then gonna, gonna, gonna continue just to appeal to your heart of what's happening here. But how, how does love heal us? And so last night we talked, and I only got to the first movement, but we, I talked about the three, When we, in the catechism it talks about the three movements of the Holy Spirit. So the first movement of the Holy Spirit that we talked about last night was that the Holy Spirit brings us into communion with Jesus. And these things are not happening, you know, chronologically so much as simultaneously. So the first movement, so even right now, like we said, the Holy Spirit is bringing you into communion with Jesus. Because all the parts of our hearts, all the parts of our lives that have yet to experience communion, the Holy Spirit right now is actively working to bring these fragments into communion with Jesus so that we live a whole and integrated life in him, which I'm going to talk about extensively this morning. The second movement of the Holy Spirit is to sanctify us. So the Holy Spirit is a sanctifier. The Holy Spirit makes us holy, and very simply what that means is he makes Christ present in us. So right now, in your life, Jesus is working, or the Holy Spirit is working to make Christ present in you. And not that you are some sort of just, you know, empty box that Jesus fills himself with. He makes himself present in you in a very particular way, which is so lovely. I mean, just the staggering beauty of humanity is, is just so wonderfully glorious. And in our lives, don't we so often compare ourselves to other people? And we spend our whole life comparing ourselves, we compare our insides to other people's outsides and we will never win that battle. We want to be somebody else, we want to have their gifts, we want to have their marriage, we want to have their children, not ours, we want to have theirs, you know. It's, 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 we all do it, we all do that. But the beautiful thing about what the Lord is doing is He's making Christ present in you in the particular way that Christ manifests Himself through you, which He does not manifest Himself that way through anybody else ever, ever. So, when Jesus sanctifies you and he makes you holy and he brings you to himself, and that's the Holy Spirit's work, he's making Christ present through you in a way that nobody else can. And this is not just about gifts, it's not just about the, you know, the gifts, it's about the essence of who you are. The essence, okay? So, the Holy Spirit brings us into communion with Jesus. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us, which makes Christ present in us. And the third movement of the Holy Spirit, which I'll talk more about tomorrow, is he empowers us to make Jesus present in the world. So every spiritual gift, whatever gift that is, whether it's, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, it's a charismatic gift, it's a, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, whatever that is, whatever it is, it's always ordered toward communion, and it's always ordered toward making Christ present in the world, which is always about communion. Do you see? It always comes back to the same thing. And I think sometimes in our life, we can look at gifts of the Holy Spirit as kind of like um, maybe a fringe movement over here in the church, and that's, that's great for you all, and, but that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the outpouring of a life in the Holy Spirit, the beautiful life poured out, that from generation to generation to generation, the Holy Spirit is poured out as gifts on the body of Christ, which is the church, empowering us to make Christ present in the world, and that will never change. Because the need for Christ is always the same. And we can look at it in our own particular way, the manifestation of our own particular way in the world today. So the Holy Spirit in our life right now is giving us gifts, he's sanctifying us, he's bringing us into communion, and he's making Christ present in the world. wide To bring everything back into the heart of the Father. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie or if you've seen the musical. There's a movie version, there's a musical, but there's also a book called Les Miserables. Have you ever seen that story? It's a captivating story. Uh, Hugh Jackman and Anne Hathaway were in the 2012 version, but that's the musical version. But it's a, it's a book by Victor Hugo. And it's, it takes place about the, French, about the time of the French Revolution. And it's centered around, you talk about how love heals, of, of a man named Jean Valjean. You know, It's a fictional story. But it's about a, a story about a, of a man named Jean Valjean, who during the French Revolution, the people are starving. And he steals a loaf of bread to feed his sister and her family. And he's caught and put into prison. And he does 19 years hard labor for that theft. And he's treated cruelly. And he gets out of prison and he has a yellow piece of paper, you know, he has a piece of paper that identifies him as a convict. That no matter where he goes, he has to show people his piece of paper, identifying him as somebody who's a criminal. And he fears he'll forever be marked by that. And I think, you know what, my friends, you and I, in our own ways, all of us have a little yellow piece of paper that often marks our life, and this is how we see the world. It's how we see God. It's how we see other people. And what the Lord is doing, what the Lord does is the Lord interrupts these cycles of the narrative of shame, of of hatred, of sin, of brokenness that we all have to speak to us who we truly are. And that's why last night I spoke to you about the sacrament of baptism, which might seem very elemental to you, but it is the foundation of all things. Like we said, it is the objective reality that forever marks us as belonging to God. And that changes everything. Because in that moment when Jean Valjean is convinced that this is all his life will ever be, he's full of hatred, he's full of self-hatred, he's full of bitterness, he's full of fear, he's full of shame. We all know those stories in our own way. What interrupts his whole life is the entrance of a character who loves him, who's a bishop. And can I just tell you I love how much it's a bishop because a bishop is a father of a diocese. He's the father of a territory. And he is the one, he is the father who looks at his children and loves them and delights in them. And Jean Valjean, it's just a wonderful dialogue of, really, Jean Valjean trying to push away the bishop's love, push away the bishop's kindness. You know, he's wearing, in the movie version, he's wearing a hood and he hates himself. And he's like, I'm a criminal, I'm very dangerous, you better watch out. And the bishop just looks at him and he says, I know who you are. I know who you are. In that cycle, the, the, the Jean Valjean steals from him. He steals all the silver, which is a family heirloom. He punches him in the face. He leaves in the dead of night. He gives into his own narratives, which we all have of self-hatred. This is all I'm gonna be, the, catch him. And they bring Jean Valjean back to the bishop the next day. And here's the grave injustice, and I'm gonna talk more about this this afternoon, but here's the grave injustice, is that Jean Valjean has done something very wrong. He is not only mentally and emotionally, he's physically wounded the bishop. He's monetarily wounded him by stealing all of his silver. And now the bishop has a decision. Will he turn him over to the police? Because he's right in doing so. But what should he do? I'll tell you the rest of that story later, okay? Because it's the change of love, it's the act of love that transforms our life. And this is exactly how, where the love of God, where the love of God, he comes and he sees us, where, you know, if I were to ask you, it's very interesting, if I were to ask you to describe yourself, who are you, we would all have a variety of answers that we would use. And a lot of us would define ourselves based on maybe what we do for a living or what we used to do or where we went to school or kind of some of our accolades or things like that. And so we have this narrative of who we are, the story of who we are, which is something that we formulate, it's something that's told about us, it's told over us, it's something that we we kind of articulate by our examples in the world and kind of how we go through the world, but it is only God himself who knows the true story. And like we said last night, it is only Jesus himself who can reveal us truly to ourselves. And this, this is the only place where we can know who we are Like we said last night, you know, we don't even know ourselves fully. Like St. Paul says, we see dimly now as in a mirror. We see ourselves dimly, we see other people dimly. And as much as our hearts are open to healing and restoration, I can see the truth of who you are, and I can affirm the goodness of who you are and speak to the truth of who you are. But even that is so limited because I'm so small. So it's only Christ who comes to speak the truth to who we are and to restore our whole life and bring us back into communion with God, which interrupts every single narrative that we have and amen to it, amen to it. And I ask the Lord every single day, Lord, I want you to shatter the paradigms I have of who you are because they are not too big, they are far too small. And this morning as I was praying for you, I, what came to my mind was from the Acts of the Apostles, and I, I just was thinking of, you know, we talk about St. Paul and his conversion of Saul before he's Paul. And, you know, we know the story of him breeding murderous, murderous threats for the church and seeking to destroy the church, and he's, he's justified in what he's doing. And can I just propose to you that all of us feel justified in how we live our life? And we all have a good reason why. There's a good reason why that you don't talk to that side of the family anymore, Okay. Because 15 years ago at Thanksgiving, Aunt Sally said something to your kids and we are not playing with her kids anymore, thank you very much. You know? We're not doing that. And so we have our own justifications of why we do what we do, right? And and I'm saying it as much to myself as I'm saying it to you. And then we see the war over in the Middle East and we say, how come those people can't just get along? We can't even get along in our own families many times, you know? So St. Paul, we have to understand about Saul. Saul is very justified in what he thinks he knows he's doing is right. But see, he doesn't know the whole truth. Love has yet to come and interrupt his life. <laughs> and I love it because we know the story of Saul very well, of him you know, being, you know, being pierced by a light and falling to the ground and going blind. It's just so great. He goes blind, which is really finally a physical manifestation of the interior disposition of his heart. Finally, it's like, oh, I was blind this whole time. And he's led when he, you know, the, the men with him don't see anything, but they hear the voice, and, I mean, or they see the light, and they're just totally dumbfounded. They lead him by the hand. This man who was breeding murderous threats to the church, pulling people out, putting them in chains, now can't even see. He is completely humbled, completely brought to the ground. They lead him by the hand into the city, and there he is, he doesn't eat or drink. He is totally poor, totally impoverished, totally bereft, until somebody is sent to come to his aid. And it's through the imposition of the Holy Spirit, through the transformation of the Holy Spirit, that St. Paul changes and it's one of the reasons why you and I are sitting here today, right? And I love it because it's Ananias. And Ananias is a follower of the Lord and it's just so, it's just so wonderful because it says, okay, so Acts, I'm just gonna read this a little bit to you. It says Acts chapter nine. It says, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, appropriately, here I am, Lord, (laughs) Like until you tell me what to do, then I'm going to talk to you about that for a second, but the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, and so he told Ananias, you know, everything that would happen, and I love it because Ananias says, but Ananias replied, Lord, (laughs) I have heard from many sources about this man. What evil things he has done to your holy ones in Jerusalem. And Ananias is like, are, you sure? are we talking about the same person here? Are you sure? You know, It's just great. And I love it because the Lord reaffirms. Because you and I have all had inspirations like this. We've all had inspirations from the Holy Spirit just like this. And we're like, I don't know. And the Lord says, you, you must go and you must heal him. You must go to him. And he will know, it's interesting, he will know how much he has to suffer for my name. It's like phew, right to the core. So I love it, so Ananias goes, and when I was praying for you this morning and just praying for myself this morning, you know, in these places, this is the part that came to my heart especially. So it goes on to say, so Ananias went, and he entered the house, laying his hands on Saul, and he said, Saul, my brother, the Lord has sent me. Jesus appeared to you on the way by which you came, and that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit." So he pronounces the name of Christ, of this pursuit of Christ for his heart, the restoration of his heart, puts his hands on him, proclaims the Holy Spirit to him, and it says this, immediately, things like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And I was like, amen, Lord. Would that today, my dear friends, the scales that are on our eyes, the scales that are on our heart, that those things would fall away so that we could see. Because I don't know about you, but I want to see. I want to see. I don't want to live my life out of my own narratives, just the broken ways that I have of seeing. I want to see the way the Lord sees. I want to see myself. I want to see God. I want to see you the way that the Lord sees. And this is what the Holy Spirit is doing for us, my dear friends, if we allow him to. Because see, the Lord is very gracious. And had Saul resisted this, the Lord would have respected that. Had Mary said no, which she was fully free to say no, the Lord would have respected that. Had the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, when Jesus came to call them, had they said no, we're not interested, we have a business going here, we're very busy, the Lord would have respected that. He's so gracious. So gracious so would that today whatever the holy spirit's coming to you so i'm just going to ask you just to be very attentive even right now to your heart of what's coming up in your heart and maybe it's a couple places where you have some scales right or maybe it's something in your family or maybe it's it's a part of your heart where you've been praying to the lord for years for something and it just doesn't seem like anything's happening where is that in your heart right now where the holy spirit wants to come and he's not coming to force us, he's not coming to, to pry open our fists, so to speak. He's coming to anoint us, to transform our hearts, to open our hearts so that these scales, these hard places fall away so that we can see. Because you know what happens after that to Saul? The beautiful thing that happens immediately right after that, the next verse says, after the scales fall from his eyes and he regains his sight, he got up and was baptized. And then he ate some food. I'm like, amen, well, let's do that. You know, like. He got up and was baptized. He got up and he received the Holy Spirit. From what the Holy Spirit moved in his heart, he was baptized, like we talked about last night, and it is from that identity, which we always see, it's from the identity that our mission flows. This is why Jesus, it's only after his time in the desert when the Holy Spirit leads him into the desert, where he confronts Satan, and Satan attacks him and tempts him in every single way that you and I are tempted. But Jesus doesn't fail. He is the new Adam who doesn't fail. He is the new Adam that goes into the wilderness and this time doesn't fail. He's faithful. And he does that because he knows who he is. Because he knows who he is. You know, it's just so, I mean, how many times in our life, you know, do we do things like we said because we have no idea who we are or we're acting out of a way, or you know, if something touches, you know, there's, a, there's a great saying that fear is the chief activator of our faults. Fear is the chief activator of our faults. And so many times if you look in your life when you're arguing with somebody or when you have to like, come back with a cutting comment or you just shut people out or all the things that we do, many times what's driving us is fear. And you look how Jesus comes into the desert and how he faces the enemy and how he's not doing it on his own power, so to speak, but out of his identity with the Father. And this my dear friends, this is how we must live our life. This is why we have to know, not just intellectually, but in our hearts, who we are. Because if we don't know who we are, nature abhors a vacuum. The enemy will come and tell you who you are. The world will come and tell us who we are. So we can't afford, sorry English teachers, I'm gonna use a double negative. We can't afford not to, we can't not, not know who we are. We have to know. And that's a formulation that takes place. It's a a lifelong process. And this is exactly where Jesus Christ comes in his love to heal us. To come to heal us. You know, let me just propose this to you. Like, what if so many of the things in our life that have caused us such sorrow, places in our hearts where all of us bear deep areas of unforgiveness, Places in our hearts where we don't, we don't think we need to grow anymore. We're just fine, thank you very much. What if all those places were actually not truths, but just distortions? What if many of them were lies where the enemy has come to set up his camp? Because I guarantee you, we have an enemy who's formidable. Who wants to destroy you. And what if it's in those places, right in those very places, not around them, not over them, not under them, But what if it's right in those very places, my dear friends, where Jesus wants to come and meet us and speak the truth to us here? Because when Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, he's not just speaking of intellectual knowledge, Like we are like, so right, so let me just tell you what's happening in your brain right now as you're listening to me. There's many, it's wonderful. There's many things happening to you. You probably don't even realize it. Okay. So right now you're looking at me going, is this girl crazy? We're not really sure. Okay. So, but what's happening is you're looking at me right now and you're listening to me. You're listening to me audibly with your ears. And right now in your mind, because you're hearing something new or you're hearing it from a different perspective, there's new uh, brain pathways being formed in your brain right now. New proteins your brain is formulating, you're listening, you're you're putting things together. Maybe there's some connections that you've made before. So your brain is literally growing new neural pathways right now, okay? So you're listening to me audibly. You're also looking at me, you're looking at my, you're looking at my face, you're looking at my nonverbal cues. What your brain is doing right now is you're looking at me and what you're looking for is, do I really mean what I say? You're looking for congruities between what I'm saying with my mouth and what I'm listening to with my body. And what I'm saying to you in my tone of voice, it's fascinating, right? But you're also listening in your heart. You're listening from your heart. And there's certain things that I'm saying that are resonating with some of you very deeply that you know very well. And there's certain things that I'm saying that because of our own stories that are very challenging as well, right? And that's okay. And also at the same time, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you heart to heart in ways I don't even know, which is so wonderful, that's the best part. And what the Lord is doing in your heart, he's speaking to you in the deep places to open up your heart. If we would allow him to, right? If we would allow him to. So when Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, he's not just speaking of an intellectual knowledge. And all of us have an intellectual version of theology. We all have a, a theology of the mind, so to speak. And that's something that must continue. We must continue to for, form our minds in the truth. We have to know why we believe what we believe and what we believe. That's very important. We cannot know that. But what Jesus is saying here, it's not just about you knowing the truth here, it's about you knowing the truth here. Because when we talk about knowing from the heart, we're talking about a very intimate knowledge. It's very different. If I were to say, say I heard about you, say you and I have a mutual friend, we've all had this experience. We have a mutual friend, and your your friend's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for you to meet her, she's so wonderful, you're going to love her so much, and I've heard all about you. I've heard all about you, and finally you and I go down to your little coffee shop down here and we finally meet face to face. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've heard so much about you. I'm so delighted to meet you. Now it's going to be from knowing about you to actually knowing you. And I I don't know if you've had this experience. I've had it many times where people finally meet me and they say, "Gosh, you're you're a lot different than I thought you were." I'm like, "Is that a compliment? I'm not really sure what's happening right now. Like, I don't is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, it's like all of us have different ideas of kind of you know what people look like or you know we've had these things. And Jesus, thank God, is a lot different than he thought we would be. Woo! I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that the Jesus that I knew as a seven-year-old girl is not the fullness of who he is. And I'm so glad that for the rest of my life and into eternity. I get to sink into the truth of who he is because he is formulating our heart here. So each of us here today in this church have a theology of the mind, and each of us have a theology of the heart, and let me just say this to you. When there's a battle, usually the theology of our hearts will win, okay? This is why you can know something. This is why you can know intellectually the truth that God is sovereign, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, that he's the beginning and the end, and you can know, you can read in the Scriptures. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. I love you. You are mine. I am with you. We can hear that. And then we can have different experiences in our life that either confirm the truth or sow another narrative in there. Which is why you and I can have experiences and and what's happening usually is many of us have, all of us, all of us have unhealed wounds in our life where the enemy has access, right? Where things happen to us, and the enemy comes back around to say last night, like we talked about, God is not good, you can't trust him, and nobody loves you, you're all by yourself. So in our hearts, and our minds, we can be like, no, I know that the Lord loves me, but in our hearts, your heart is saying something else. And many times what happens is this, this knowledge, this is why the heart must be formed, this is why I spend so much time speaking about the heart, because these things matter, because as we heal this and heal this, the two will come together. And more and more we can act in accordance with what is true, and we can live it according to here, because we don't know just about the truth, we know him. Because in the Bible, when it talks about somebody knowing somebody, when Adam knew Eve, that is a very intimate knowledge. And this is the knowledge, this is the kind of knowledge where the Lord comes into our hearts, my dear friends. He comes into these places of our hearts, and he speaks the truth of who we are, and he heals the areas of woundedness. He heals the lies we believe about ourselves. He heals the lies we believe about himself, about other people, all the places of our hearts where we set up this kind of area, this blueprint of our heart to keep ourselves safe. Right? So we're afraid of getting hurt anymore. We're afraid, you know, the things that have happened to us where we say many times subconsciously, I will never allow that to happen again. And we spend the rest of our life trying to make sure that never happens again. And we just end up destroying everything. And Jesus is the one who teaches us what it means to be human. Right? Pope Benedict, in his book *Jesus of Nazareth*, I love. There's a couple of quotes from him that are just absolutely lovely. And he says this in his book *Jesus of Nazareth*. He says, "Healing, healing is an essential dimension of the apostolic mission and of Christianity. When understood at a sufficiently deep level, this expresses the entire content of redemption." I'm gonna read that again. Healing is an essential dimension of the apostolic mission and of Christianity. When understood at a sufficiently deep level, this expresses the entire content of redemption. The entire content. So this is the whole reality of healing because what we're talking about, we talk about healing. We're not just talking about the charismatic gift of healing. What we're talking about is the entire reality of healing is bringing us into wholeness. That's, That's holiness. Holiness is not a facade that we put on on Sundays for an hour. I hope it's not. Because that's not holiness. It's not our self righteous ways of trying to justify ourselves. Holiness is wholeness, it's allowing the Lord to come into every aspect of our being and to come and transform us so that we live an integrated life like He does. Because for most of us, our lives are just shattered. And we, we, live, you know, we live fragmented lives, so you live your spiritual life over here, you live your work life over here, you live life as a mom or a dad or a single person over here, you know, and so we have all these different fragmented parts of our hearts, and, and what the Lord is doing is he's coming to bring us into wholeness, because that's how Jesus lives. That's how he lives. I, one of the experiences that I will never forget is as I worked at that daycare, was that many times what happens is that a lot of our kids that are at our daycare and that school in Seattle, a lot of the kids that came to our daycare came from single-parent homes. A lot of them came from single moms. And that's a hard life, being a single mom. You know, mom's working two or three jobs to send her kids to Catholic school. And that's hard. And that's the best that she could possibly do, but everybody is suffering in that family. Everybody is suffering. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, we'd have, you know, so many kids at our school after, after, after school daycare, and it, just watching, you know, the kids, and I, I love those children very, very much. They're beautiful. I, I love kids, but I'm not their mama. And many times what would happen is if you've ever watched children, you know, about 4.30 in the afternoon, I don't know what happens about 4.30 in the afternoon, but meltdowns begin to happen. Okay, so things explode, Legos explode, all kinds of things explode. And many times what happens is that one of the little kids would just start crying, and you know when little kids are inconsolable and they just start shaking, they're like, <gasps> And they've got, like, little Legos in their hands. It was like, a little boy. I, I saw it both with little girls and little boys. It was like, a little boy with Legos, and he's, like, so sobbing, sobbing. I'm like, oh, hey, buddy, what, what's wrong? Like, you know, talk to me. He's like, ah! I'm, like oh, okay, 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 look at me, look at me. <laughs> look, look at me, look at me. I'm like, what's wrong? He just, well, can't stop crying. And I know that the week before, his older brother was sick with the flu, and I'm guessing he probably is sick, and he is absolutely beside himself in sorrow. And I don't know what to do because he won't stop crying, and he might be getting sick. And I've got like 30 other kids in the room. And sometimes, and I didn't want to, but I, sometimes all I could do was I had to call mom. And I don't want to call mom because mom's at work. But her baby's sick, and we need help. So many times I call mom on the phone, like, "Hey, mom, um, your son—he's sick. I, I, we can't get him to stop crying. I don't know what's happening. Can you can you come get him?" And I tell you, as soon as she hears that her baby is sick, like, immediately her voice changes. She's like, I'll be there in 20 minutes, sister. I'll be right there. And you know, many, 20 minutes later, we hear like a, a knock on the daycare door. And that mom comes in, and mom comes in on a mission because she, she, her baby's sick, and she walks into that room looking for her kid. And many times, there's so many kids in there, he would see her before she would spot him, and he would just take off running toward her. Just sobbing with little Legos in his hand. And she would spot him and she would just bend down. She'd be like, oh, baby. And she'd just scoop him up and she would just put him on her heart right here. And she would stand there in front of all those kids and she would just rock him back and forth. And he would just be crying. She's like, it's okay, baby. Mama's here. You're okay. You're okay. You're safe. It's okay. I'm here. And eventually, it doesn't matter. She would stand there as long as it took. (laughs) And eventually, she could do what nobody else on earth could do (laughs) she'd get him to stop crying. And she would set him down and she would go into our closet and she'd get his little backpack and his little jacket and she'd put it on she'd be like, okay, we're going to go to the store, okay? Is that all right? You want to go to the store with Mama? He'd be like, oh, okay, Mama. <laughs> and she'd take his hand and she'd walk out the door and she'd like, thank you so much, sister. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm like, thanks, Mom. <laughs> because love showed up. I wonder in your life, do you remember when you were five or six years old? Did you ever just want your mom or dad to come for you? Or you just wanted somebody to rest your head on in love and healing? Because I can promise you at five or six years old, you were really lovely. <laughs> and you still are. And every single one of us, no matter how young or old we are, we need a place to go home. A place where, oh, just, it's so deep where the love comes to interrupt the places that our hearts have been broken, the places that even now we're like resisting still to this day, we're like, oh, not that. It's right here, friends. It's right here where Jesus brings his love. He brings his deep healing. He brings the place, this place of our heart where he comes to sit with us. He comes to bring us into communion. Because like we said last night, Jesus Christ is not coming to fix us. He's not coming to fix your spouse. <laughs> he's, not fix, he's not coming to fix the church. He's coming to bring us into communion. Because it is only love that heals us. That's it. There's nothing else that heals us. It's only authentic love. Only authentic love heals broken love. Not lust, not another degree, not another argument, not another drink, not another Instagram follower. Hmm. Nothing. It's only authentic love that heals the broken love in our life so where in your life my dear friends when we talk about the holy spirit coming we talk about him bringing christ to birth in us and we talk about him bringing us into communion because where in your life right now do you need that where in your life because i know that for all of us here there's at least one place in our life where we need to encounter him this is where the lord delights to do that he comes into these places And we see that over and over and over again in the disciples. We see it over in the Gospels. That's why we have to know Scripture. We have to know salvation history because it's our history. It's our history of, and they lived happily ever after. It's the truth. This is why we love a good story. This is why we love stories, why you can watch a movie for three hours and you get sucked into this story or a good book or a story somebody's telling you, all of a sudden you're there with them on 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 the sea or on the boat or wherever they are like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I love that that happened to you. Like why do we love a good story? It's because we're part of a good story. It's the best story ever. It's called Salvation History, and welcome to the front row. It's your life. So what is the Lord doing in that? Because he's speaking something very deeply to us. Because you and I, at the end of the day, to borrow a very cliched saying, you and I are not converted by, we're not, we're not, we're not hated into a conversion, we're not criticized in a conversion, we're not guilt-tripped into a conversion, <laughs> we're not drug into a conversion, we are loved. Into a conversion and not just once 20 years ago but we are loved into a conversion over and over and over and over and over and over over again because our life like c.s lewis says our life is truly a masterpiece truly a masterpiece he says something that god is making and something with which he will not be satisfied until it has a certain character So he said, your life, it's not metaphor. He said, your life truly is a masterpiece, something that God is making and something that he will not be satisfied until it has a certain character. So if you think of things in your life that you practice, whatever kind of art you practice, whether that's gardening or sports or music or food or whatever, all of us have something that we really love to do that brings us life. Music, whatever that is for you. Especially if you're doing it, if you're out there in the yard or you're out, you know, going for a walk or you're out working actively, if it's at your job, whatever that is, whatever pulling the creativity, the beauty out of you, every single one of us, when we start a project, we know in our mind what we want it to look like at the end. You know, my mom, my mom, my mom's wonderful and she loves to cook and so we would often go into the kitchen, she'd be cooking and we'd be like eating off the plate, she's like, get out of here, get out of here, get out, go, 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 when I'm done, I'm done, done, go, go play, go, get out, you know. Because she knew in her heart what it was supposed to look like. For us, it was just fine, but she was the artiste, thank you very much. And she knew exactly what that dish should look like and what it should taste like, and it's not ready yet, so please go outside and play until I call you back in, you know? And it is the same with the Lord. That in our lives, my dear friends, we often, because our view is so small, all we see is this part here. But What the Lord is doing is he's doing this large masterpiece here. And let me just tell you that he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. And the profound reality of who God is is that and how love heals us, and how love heals the scales that are on our eyes and on our heart, how that happens, right, is that he has a variety of tools that he uses. <laughs> and he is sovereign. And like I spoke to you last night about the Paschal Candle and I, I, share, I have a podcast called Abiding Together and I recently shared this story on the podcast, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. I was giving a healing retreat to seminarians a couple months ago and the rector of the seminary is an exorcist. So is my spiritual director and I, just, I learned so much about how God works and how the enemy works from my spiritual director and from this, the man who's the priest who's the rector at the seminary. And he was listening to the teachings and he you know we were having lunch during the retreat and he said, sister... He's like, I have to tell you. He's like, I really believe, he said, listening to these teachings, and he said, working with people that are possessed by the enemy, because that's a real thing, right? And just working to help free people and bring them back into communion with Jesus, because that's what exorcism is. It's bringing people back into communion with Christ. He says, I've realized something, and I just offer this to you. He says, what I realize is that earth that we live on, that you and I live on, is not neutral territory. It's not neutral. He said, when when the enemy, when Satan was cast out of heaven, he wasn't put right into hell, he was sent to the earth. And Christ came to the earth. This is why the, the battle is waged on the earth. And this is why the battle is waged in your heart. And you are in a battle. And he said, What I realize is this. He said, Satan is like a sniper. And because Satan has an angelic intellect, so he, the intellect his intellect is far greater than ours, this is why we never ever talk one-on-one to the enemy, ever. We never engage, like Adam and Eve engaging the enemy. Rule number one, we don't do that. So they're engaging directly the enemy, So because the enemy knows more than they do because of his intellect, right? He, this priest said he really believes because the enemy has an angelic intellect, he can intuit the destiny of each human soul as God creates them in their mother's womb. And what he will do is he will seek to shoot his deepest bullet, his deepest poisonous arrow in the place you will bear the most life to take you out right from the start. And he said, if he can get you to spend the rest of your life hating yourself, hating God and hating other people, we've made his work very easy. But he said right in the very place where the enemy because god is sovereign because god is sovereign and in his sovereign will he allows whatever he allows to happen and i don't know why people ask me all the time i don't know why i don't but god does so whatever god is allowed to happen in your life my dear friends it means he already has the remedy for it and as we allow jesus to come into the very places where the enemy has sown his deepest arrow It's those places where your heart will love in greater ways than ever before. Had that never not happened, your heart is open in an even greater way. That is the divine economy of salvation. You would never know love the way you know it now had somebody, that person, not broken your heart when you are a little girl, little boy. And so often we spend our whole lives hating that person and and hating our, our bodies, we hate our emotions, we hate, and the enemy just stirs this whole pot And what we don't understand is that in that very crucifixion, Christ plants his cross and brings us to life, my dear friends. So your deepest wounds are not arbitrary. They're planted there by an enemy who wants to seek to destroy you. And will we allow him to continue to take ground there? Or we now today, in a new way, maybe for the first time, open our hearts to the possibility that the Holy Spirit is present there and he wants to open our hearts to him does that make sense to you I mean for me I was like what what
0: this is amazing
1: because I spent so much of my life hating myself and hating the people that hurt me and hating all these I mean you know and I, I just if I had to wrestle like I said very deeply and it's not just once but it's over and over and over again and the lie that says had that not happened to me I'd be better now had, had I not had those parents, had I gone to a different school, had that person not divorced me, had, the, had my kids, you know, been faithful to the church, whatever that is, Jesus doesn't speak like that, nor does Jesus shame us. He always speaks the truth to us in love. And I tell you this a couple of weeks, because I'm on this journey with you, like what I'm saying to you, I'm, this is my life, this is how I live my daily life, so everything I'm saying to you, I'm saying to myself, and I'm saying it to you because the Lord is saying it to me. And just a couple weeks ago, I had an experience where there was a lie in my life that I had held onto like this, like a fist. All of us have parts of our hearts where we just, mm. And because we, we do this, can I just offer this to you for a second? Because we do this because this is a really tender part of our heart. So in order to protect our hearts, we will close our fist, so to speak, and however that looks, whether that's self-righteousness, whether that's resentment, bitterness, shame, addiction, all that, it's, all it's doing is protecting a really tender part here. And we are trying to take care of ourselves so we will close our fists, so to speak, and we will try to protect this at all costs. And woe to anybody who gets near it. And the Lord showed me very deeply of how he has no desire, oh, he's so kind, he has no desire to pry your fist open. And he has no desire for you to do the same thing either. And do you remember when you were little, like a little girl or a little boy, when you were playing a game and you had like a toy in your hand and your friends were trying to pry your fist open to get the toy out, how painful that was? or scratching and many times the toy broke. Jesus is not here to pry anything out of your hand. But it's through the gentleness of his love, it's just through the tenderness of the Holy Spirit, you, like the waves like the lap upon the shore here. What happens over time is if we allow it, the tenderness of the Lord's love comes to just massage these places of our heart to make us safe. Because we will only open our hearts if we feel safe, right? Of course we're not going to open our heart if we don't feel safe. If we're constantly fighting things off or feeling like we have to run away, of course we're not going to open our hearts. And the Lord revealed to me a couple weeks ago a very tender place that I was hiding here. And I've been on a healing journey, a a massive healing journey of sobriety, of healing, of restoration for over 16 years. Very serious. Every kind of therapy you can possibly imagine, healing prayer, deliverance, like man, you name it, I've done it. And I love it because it's so wonderful because the Lord loves me so much that he continues to reveal these places of our heart so he can love me more deeply. And he showed me very clearly of a place that I had right here that I was going like this. And he very gently approached me and he said to me in all truth, my love, I want you to be well. So in order for you to do that, I need you to receive the truth here. In order for you to receive the truth, you have to let go of this. So would you be willing to do that? And it was a hard truth because I was very comfortable with like this. Thank you very much. I've been living like this for a long time. And it felt scary. It felt scary to finally open my heart there. He was inviting me. He wasn't forcing. He was just inviting. And Jesus always appeals to me like that. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? And there's certain things in my life where the Lord's like, do you want to be well? I'm like, yes, Lord, I want to be well. (laughs) And there's other things in my life where I'm like, can I think about that and get back to you a little bit? Because I like that grudge. I just like to nurse that grudge a little bit longer. You know, it's just funny how we do that. We're like, we're not really sure if I want to be well here. I'd rather just blame everybody else for a little bit longer. Can I just do that right I mean, it's funny what we do. But it was very, very deep. And he said, you have to receive the truth. He didn't say, you do, he didn't say to, re, to be resigned to it. You have to accept it. You have to receive it. And in order to receive something, my friends, you have to have our hands open. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit as gift in love, if we talked about the Holy Spirit as a gift given in love and received in love, It requires a certain amount of openness to us because you can't give a gift to somebody if they don't have their hands open. They can't receive it. And we've all literally given gifts of our heart or of things to people who just couldn't receive it. Even sometimes, something little, sometimes if you ever take somebody out to lunch, and we all have a friend who just absolutely will not let you pay for lunch. They will not let you do it. You will wrestle in front of the waiter over the bill because they want to pay. They will not let you pay. You're like, you just let me pay. I just want to take you out to lunch. Like, oh, no, I got it. You're like, no, no, please let me treat you, but it's like too vulnerable for them. Like, they want to be in control. No, 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 I'll do it, do it. And isn't it hard? You're like, I just love you. I just want to, <laughs> just want to gift you. Can I just, can I just bless you? And I really think like that's the the disposition of Jesus so often if he comes to us and he's like, I just wanna love you. Will you just let me love you here? And we're like, no, Lord, it's okay, I got it, it's all right, no, I'm fine. He's like, can I just, can I just love you here? And to the extent that we can do that, my dear friends, not just once many years ago, but because love is always outpouring and love is always healing, and wherever love is healing, wherever love is occurring, healing is constantly occurring, which is why the continued outpouring of love, the continued healing of love in relationships, that's why it continues to heal us and make us whole. It makes us human. Love makes us human. And that's why Jesus shows us what it means to be human. He comes into the world naked and vulnerable, and He leaves the world naked and vulnerable. And he doesn't have I mean, could you imagine living your life without self-defense mechanisms? Without self-righteousness, without, you know, all the all the ways we have such incredible armor to protect ourselves. Jesus lives totally, singularly whole and transparent and vulnerable and naked. And it is so stunning to behold. And I think really think that's one of the reasons why people were so captivated by him. And and the the crowds loved him. They're like, he doesn't speak like the, the Pharisees. Like, this man speaks differently. And he comes into their lives and he's touching people and he's making clay out of saliva and just, I mean, he's spitting on it. It's just wonderful. (laughs) He's touching lepers and he's multiplying loaves and he's calming the storm and he's raising the dead. And the disciples don't even know what to make of it and it's so glorious. It's so wonderful. He's showing us what it means to be human. Because he's always in union with the Father, he knows who he is. And that reality, that truth in the core of his being is what propels every other activity, my dear friends. And in our life, so often we talk about evangelization, we talk about ministry, all that kind of stuff. Until it's done from a relationship with here, it will be fruitless. It has to be powered here from love. So if I could, I just wanna, I'd just i like to just end um, my time here with you just with a bit of a meditation once again, if I could. And I'm just going to... Just to invite you, if you want, just to close your eyes just for a second and kind of settle in. And I I know that you've heard a lot this morning, and I just want to honor whatever's in your heart right now. So I'm just going to invite you just to notice, without self-censoring, I'm just going to invite you to notice what's stirring in your heart right now. just want to invite you to notice anything that might be challenging for you anything that you're like oh i don't want to think about that or it's hard to think about that or that's painful it's okay just to notice just be very honest if there's anything in your heart that's challenging to you right now and i'm just going to invite you to notice also what is so beautiful What is absolutely captivating in your heart right now? What is resonating so deeply and you're saying, I know this. I know this and I want more of it. What is that? And Jesus, I just pray right now that for all of us here, that you would bring to mind the one place in our hearts where we need your tender love the most. What is that place, friends? It's okay. Jesus is not embarrassed. He's not disappointed in you. He's not in a hurry. He's not tired of you. He loves you. So what is that one place in your heart where you need his tender love right now, the very most? Jesus, I just pray that your your love would be like a deep water And if you could imagine just like the gentle water just washing over that place of your heart. And the waves come in and they go out. Just gently opening that place. That water the Holy Spirit cleans out what is poisoned, what is sorrowing. to bring new life there. Lord, I pray that your gentle love would continue just to wash over this place today as we go about our way. Wash over our hearts, Lord. Wash over our lives. Wash away the scales from our eyes, from our hearts, from our minds, from our bodies. You make all things new, Lord. Come and find us. And I pray that even now, new life would come forth, new joy, new hope, new beauty, new faith. The breath of the Holy Spirit with you in this very place. As we pray, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Good St. Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to invite you um, just to be attentive. Our uh, Father's going to hear confessions today, and maybe something has come into your heart. Um, that maybe the Lord wants to bring to confession. Because, see, confession is a sacrament of healing. It's the healing sacrament. So it's not just about taking our sin and, and plucking the fruit off. Actually, the, the healing power of confession goes not just at the top of the tree, it goes all the way down to the roots, right? And I, I just want to say, very common, because I talk to a lot of people, I know that people have been in the church you know, for a long time, or work for the church, or part of ministries, and still haven't been in confession in like 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you know? So I just want to say, maybe, maybe it's time. Right, it's before Pentecost, how our hearts opened. You know, I'm going to talk about the, the feminine gift, the feminine heart at 1 o'clock. You're most welcome for that. And we're going to talk about the healing power of forgiveness, So we're going to go to a deep level with that. So maybe today's the day, right? Today's the day for something new, because God is always making things.
0: sister Miriam heidland on the healing power of the holy spirit from the charismatic retreat held at saint peter cathedral on may 23rd and 24th next saturday at 7 p.m you'll hear part three in her series right here on wnoa 103.9 fm catholic radio for the up only one thing is necessary